Welcome to the 70th episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I am your host, Chris Blessing. Hope everyone is well out there today. I'm personally gearing up for a work conference at the end of this week, trying to get in as much baseball between now and then that I can possibly do, including some scouting looks at a few big prospects who will be featured heavily in next week's podcast. But before we get to episode 71, we must first get to episode 70. And we've got a good one planned this week. Actually, this week's guest is a returning guest. Uh, you may know him from Baseball HQ, Baseball Forecaster. Uh, we split up a, a, a article with uh, Jeremy Deloney every uh, year, top 75 rookies. And then also the minor league baseball analyst. Uh, you will know him very well as well, you know, as but originally kind of part of that tan, um, tandem with, uh, with Jeremy. Uh, I kind of got added to the mix in about 2016, and now it's a huge collaborative ordeal. Um, he's also contributed to the flagship Baseball HQ podcast, Baseball HQ Radio. He's had some incredible scouting looks this season, very different from any of mine. And uh, he was at the College World Series and then around parks in Michigan. And that is uh, today's guest, Rob Gordon. Welcome him to the show. Rob, hey, how are you doing? Thanks. It's great to have you to have me on the show. I uh, really appreciate it, and uh, really excited about talking some other uh, prospects and College World Series and anything that uh, anything you want to talk about, Chris. <laughs> oh, it's going it's going to be a great episode because uh, what the listeners don't know, like my single favorite prospect in the lower minors, is going to be covered today. You don't even know it right now. Well, you probably do because I was excited when I. Um, when you initially emailed me about a month ago uh, that you had this look, I knew that it was going to work out at some point towards the end of the season after we got pushed past the draft stuff and pushed past uh, um, the, the trading deadline. I knew that there was going to be a time for this. So I'm glad to have you on for this. Uh, but first, uh, can you remind our listeners of your coverage area uh, and including the five teams you write up for the minor league baseball analysts and the organizational reports in the offseason at the website. Sure. Uh, so I, my coverage, I live in the Detroit area. So my coverage is uh, Lansing, West Michigan. You get a lot of looks at uh, the Midwest League, um, which is really nice now that they've moved it up to high A rather than low A, just because the players are a little bit more advanced at that point. And then occasionally get up to Midland to see uh, the Dodgers play up there. And then a lot of games in Toledo to see the, the Mud Hens. Um, there's actually been... You know, a lot of years you go to see mud hens games and there's really nothing there because for years and years the Tigers were just kind of in the win now mode and and so now that they've been sort of trying to at least to stockpile some talent some talent over the last couple of years it's really been um, a good place to go see baseball plus the stadium's just fantastic so and the teams I cover are the Dodgers the Cubs the Tigers the Rockies and the Cardinals. All right, so here's a good question, the first surprise question of the whole time, because um, there'll be other ones. You, you know that. You've been on here uh, a bunch. Uh, this is year one of a new regime uh, in Detroit. Uh, have you noticed any differences of covering the prospects? Do you feel like, uh, uh, you know, usually year one's hard to see this sort of thing in, but 
uh, in year two, year three, it's a bigger deal. But all the whispers I've heard from my scouting contacts is it seems like things are different in Detroit. Is that is that true? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Scott Harris has done immediately after coming on board is, um, you know, obviously trying to rebuild what's there and sort of was uh, left in a tough situation. But I think in terms of, of player development, what I have seen, and I think, you know, I've read this repeatedly from directly from him and heard him talk about this, but is, is plate discipline and getting on base. And so, I've definitely seen some of their um, some of their players, including some of the, the players we, we're going to talk about today. I think um, make dramatic improvements in their in their ability to cut down their strikeouts and and put the ball in play and draw walks in particular. And so um, I also feel like they're they're really investing heavily in the analytics side um, in a way that they and, and also you know sort of thinking outside the box in terms of some of the player development tools that. Um, you know, I think that they got ridiculed by um, other organizations and analysts <laughs> in the past for just sort of being behind the, you know, behind the curve on some of that stuff. And I, I feel like they've really uh, have increased the strength and conditioning kinds of things that they're doing and, and all that kind of stuff. It really reminds me we're, we're you know, a lot of the uh, successful teams are run by analytical minds at this point. Uh, yeah. And the best combinations that you get from those teams are the ones that, while they're heavy in the analytics, they're also investing in player development. Uh, and he comes from a place, San Francisco, that maybe folks don't realize have has really kind of been a game changer in, in how player development's been done. Um, Baltimore is another place. This This is very reminiscent of what we're hearing out of Detroit what we heard out of Baltimore that first year with that regime. And now Baltimore is a contender. Um, And that's where the Tigers hope to be. This is probably the first time in a very long time um, that the Tigers, being a Tigers fan, being in Michigan is exciting for baseball. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, even when they were sort of, you know, wrapping up their run, I think that was the last time they were in the postseason was 2016 or something like that. You know, it was an aging team and it was a team that didn't go first to third. Well, you know, they relied on, you know, uh, lots of home runs and veteran pitching. And, and you know, then once they cleaned house, the the Alavila years were, were kind of lean. Um, and so um, this is really, I think, the first time that there's a lot of excitement and people are really starting to buy in. And not only their, you know, their minor league system, but if you look at the major league level, the team's playing much better baseball um, with really not a lot of great talent, um, you know, much better baseball than they have for the last couple of years. I think they've moved from a good team that you could easily say was a bottom five organization about how they ran. Uh, to somebody that's not in that conversation anymore. I, I'm sure like the layman fan might say, oh yeah, they're still there and stuff. Uh, but they're they're making sound decisions and that's all you want out of a team that is trying to rebuild. And yeah. even though it's been a perpetual rebuild, it seems, uh, it seems like there's an end at the, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, like like we saw with Baltimore two, three years ago, and where Baltimore fans, including my cousin David, who sometimes listens to this, were like, there's no way that this is going to end the way that you say it is. And and now they're in the, in the playoffs. So you, you might be two years away from being a, a contender. Maybe even next year, given how bad the uh, – 
the AL North, uh, you know, that that division, the Central can can really be. I mean, that's yeah. a, a very rough. Uh, I said AL North like it was football. Uh, <laughs> you can see what I was watching the hard knocks uh, <laughs> right before this. So um, excuse me on that. Well, anyway, uh, I have three bucket list baseball experiences. Uh, I, I've never shared these publicly. Number one, and this is before the end of the decade. I've told my wife this is what I want to do. I want to scout the Cape Cod League. Yeah. I want to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame. I have never been. And I want to go to Omaha like Rob did this year and check out the College World Series. I don't want to go there as a scout. I want to go there as a fan. And I yeah. feel like I, I think I found this last week, actually, just talking. I found two friends that want to do the same thing. So, Rob, tell us about that atmosphere in Omaha. Uh, it was just amazing, Chris. I mean, I, it was my second time going. So I went the first time uh, the last year of Rosenblatt Stadium. Um, and South Carolina won that year, Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, that was the year they won. And so that was really exciting. But um, I, I think I just got lucky. I planned this this trip, you know, months and months ago and went with my um, oldest son, who's a college baseball player. And so, you know, we it was just like it was on his bucket list, too. And he, he'd never been. And so I think we lucked out with the level of talent we saw. I don't think there's ever yeah. been that talent in the in the College World Series at least that I can remember. Um, and the games were all, except for the last two games, the, the games were all, you know, mostly very close one run affairs and lots of drama and just, just amazing talent. Not only the, the obvious guys, you know, in LSU who won, who, you know, ended up winning, but um, Wake Forest and, uh, you know, just like up and down the, the teams just had a lot of, a lot of really good talent, a lot of good pitching, good hitting, everything. Yes, and it ended up uh, because it worked out so well. Uh, one of our free free um, articles this year was a Rob Gordon article. He still got paid for it. Don't don't think we <laughs> don't think the base don't think Brent didn't pay him. But um, it was such a good article that like instantly when I read it, and then when Brent read it, it was it was an easy choice of something to feature on the website as hey come check things out um, and. You know, Rob was able to essentially scout the 2023 College World Series. Uh, uh, check out that article. It was June 29th. If you're not a subscriber, come check it out. Like, it, it, it's a free article. Um, and, and he talks about several of the players that that were in the first round this year and maybe one guy that's in the first round next year. So, um, so again, like you said, you got some pretty big draft prospects in Omaha. Who were your favorites? And why were your uh, favorites? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Chris, because um, my favorites, obviously, it's hard not to to say Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz because they were just amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it was I was so excited. I got to see Skeens pitch against uh, Louder, Rhett Louder, and that was just a that was just an amazing game. I mean, watching two, you know, first round high first round draft picks go against each other. Um, and Skeens was, I, I don't honestly, I, I came away from that game saying, I, I don't think I've ever seen, I know people talk about Strasburg, um, you know, is maybe the best college pitching prospect, but I would have to say after watching Skeens, I'd never seen anybody um, at the amateur level, whether it be in the minors, I saw Kershaw back in the day when he was 18 and he was amazing, but I don't know if I've ever seen anybody that, that pitched like that in person before it was it was just a sight to behold i mean the, you know he was 
I don't know how many pitches he threw in that game over 100. It was like 46 or something like that. And it wasn't even his best pitch. His changeup was his best strikeout pitch that night. So it was um, it was just hard not to just be blown away by that. Um, got to see, you know, Wyatt Langford. And uh, I'm interested to hear your your take maybe on that, on whether, whether you think the Tigers did the right thing in picking um, – uh, Max Clark over or Wyatt Langford. I, I was really impressed by Langford and his ability to get the ball in the air. I think at one point he had like 20 ground outs on the year and that was it or something like that. So, um, and I know Clark's got, you know, amazing five tool upside, but you know, he's much further away. So, um, you know, I just find that, uh, that interesting, you know, and, and, um, I, I like Jack Caglione. I think he was, uh, you know, he was really impressive. And it just, it's hard to sort of pick one guy out of the mix because there was so much talent there Yeah. Uh, that, that I would say that it was my favorite play. I guess I'd have to say Skeens. I mean, just hadn't seen anything like that before. And you also saw Kyle Teal, too, uh, yeah. there as well. To to round out the big names, uh, you know, that's so that's what? Five guys, six six guys in the, um, the first five round. guys. Yeah, five guys in the first top 15 picks. And yep. a kid that's probably going to be a top 10 uh, player next year. Um, yep. Hopefully, hopefully on the field, all of that stuff uh, yep. continues to progress like it should for, for Jack. Um, you mentioned the Max Clark thing. You were interested in hearing my thoughts. I actually was on a podcast last week where – where I basically said that Clark was my least favorite of the five guys. Um, yeah. uh, and the re- the reason for that is not necessarily uh, skill level. I really think that all five guys are le- were legit 1-1 type picks in any year. Yeah. Um, I thought that it made more sense for the Tigers to maybe take a, a, a bigger upside play with um, Jenkins. Yeah. Um, if they were going to take the high school route. I think... Max Clark ends up being a good player if everything works out. But do I think he's going to be great? I think that there's a tendency for Jake, you know, for my my at least evaluations of Jenkins, there's another level that he can reach beyond just a good player. I think he could be a great player now. Now, there's probably a better chance for uh, a better probability of um, Clark getting to that good you know, level, but I always want to take upside at that point if I'm going for prep guy. And so I would rather take the Jenkins who could be um, the more electric player. I also think, I don't know, I'm just a little bit turned off. uh, You know, I I watched a lot of, of, um, of the showcase circuit stuff um, and just Clark didn't jump off like, Jenkins did either. Yeah. Uh, still, I think the right choice was probably Langford. Um, yeah. I, I, especially with the Tigers, uh, you know, you're getting a ready-made player that that probably doesn't have the even the upside of the two high school guys, but a guy that you can also put right in there as being a good player. And and right. Yeah. And I think I, the same goes for owning, you know, for managing a guy in fantasy. You would rather have Langford. Um, you know, than than Clark or Jenkins just because yeah. he's more of a ready product. Right. No, and it, it, I mean, the, I thought Langford made sense given where the where, where the organization is at with um, you know with Torkelson and Riley Green and then all the good young pitching they have. I worry that Clark, by the time Clark gets there, those guys are going to 
be starting to get expensive in into arbitration years and potentially leaving via free agency. Um, when you know if they if you can add a, mm-hmm. a, a player of Langford's caliber in the next you know year year and a half, um, it seems like you you put yourself in a better position in the short term. But you know maybe they're thinking they have enough talent um, now to be competitive, and then they're looking at the next wave of players. And, and that could very well be. And who knows? They could be, you know, contenders in free agency um, yes. very soon, too. So, yeah. Uh, and hopefully make better decisions than Javier Baez. Um, yes. Yeah. Which was just, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, but overall, like, I, I'm, I dug, I'm just glad someone else didn't, didn't slide into that top five. I, I yeah. guess that's where, where I'm coming from. The five right. guys that were in the top five deserved it. There's a big drop off to Jacob uh, Wilson at six. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even think he's a, in in my eyes, he's a top 20 prospect in the draft. And yeah. he went six. Um, yeah. I that was, that. Well, I mean, Oakland, I mean, I understood why he was higher in the rankings than, than some other prospects because he was a guaranteed going to Oakland. Like that was one of the worst kept secrets around my contacts. Yeah. Um, okay. Oakland was going to take him. Um, they mm-hmm. love the makeup. They, they love yeah. the hit, the contact ability. And, and yeah. as you know, Oakland has had such a terrible, has done such a terrible job of developing bats. Let's right. go ahead and take somebody who's, who's right who's already um, there. Yeah. Who, who's not going to need much and hope that he gets the power, which he's not going to. Um, yeah. So at least at least none of those five teams messed up. Yeah. You know, Although I would, have, I would have liked to have seen Kyle Teal go. I was surprised he went as late as he did. Um, I would have put him certainly in the in, certainly in the top ten, maybe even like I would have considered him at number six there. I think it's a lot of data driven stuff. His his uh, data against um, you know Friday and Saturday starters weren't at, wasn't as enticing. Yeah. And so I, you know teams do look at all of that stuff. I, I tell folks. And I told them on the podcast that it was on for fantasy. Um, uh, it wasn't the fantasy six pack. I forget which one exactly it was on. Wow. Uh, but with those guys, the, the, with that group, it was a great podcast that I was on. Um, I told them one of the cheats, if you're a fantasy manager, is to look at how guys done against Friday and Saturday starters. Yeah. You could really, you could really tell. I, I, that's why I was so down as a hitter on Brandon McKay coming out of Louisville. Yeah. Uh, right. Never fa- never faced a Friday starter was yeah. poor against Saturday starters and and yeah. and beat up Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday starters. I mean that's right. Um so so and I think that's a great and by the way, I think that Teal going to the Red Sox, even though Teal is not my favorite player in the draft, I thought that was a great pick. Uh they were more familiar with that kid than any other organization. So oh, they know right. where where he's at. Um you know that that scout had him on his scout team, and that matters a lot. It um, does matters a lot. Um, so let's get to some of your minor sure. prospects uh, reports from the field, and we're going to start with a guy uh, that I s- alluded to earlier that I was the most excited to hear a report on. Um, if I wasn't going to get it from you, I was probably going to get it from Jeremy or even Trevor. Um, <laughs> but that is uh, Chase the Lotter, who's a uh, Guardians outfielder. He was the 16th overall pick. He was out of a smaller school, um, James Madison. And right. 
he was a guy that had had injury issues in college and unfortunately had a broken foot this year, which he ended up missing some time after surgery. You got to see him. And I it, did. It's phenomenal. <laughs> what did what did you think about the lotter? Uh, you know, it was interesting because I had had sort of, you know, I had mixed um reports about him over the years. And I think it was mostly just because, as you said, there was limited both not only professional experience, but limited collegiate experience. He was he had injured his foot, I think, twice now. So it cost him parts of uh, of two seasons. And so there just wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, looks out at him when he was healthy. Uh, but I was really impressed. He's, you know, six, four um, big. So he's a big dude. Um, probably weighs about two, I think his listed weight is like 215, but he looked closer to like 220, 225 to me. Um, Left-handed hitter with above average raw power, um, but just limited experience. And and he's really, you know, for the first time in a couple of years, been fully healthy. And I think there's a lot to like. Um, his swing can get a little bit long um, and he doesn't have that kind of elite bat speed that you want to look for, but he really handles you know, in the, in the looks that I saw, he handled both, you know, pretty decent velocity and also breaking balls. So he adjusts well um, to whatever, you know, whatever pitches he's looking at. He has worked hard to shorten up his stroke um, and he does consistently find the barrel. Um, I think there's going to be some adjustments as he, you know, as he continues to, to move up. But in 36 games between rookie ball and high A, you know, and it, it, I think the knock on him was what, you know, the size and obviously the length of the swing would he hit as a professional and he's hitting 362 right now um mm -hmm. with, with 421 on base and a 531 slug but he just has two home runs and so it's almost been the opposite i think of what people thought he would be um and you wonder whether you know he he does make he does make a lot of contact but he's not maybe as skilled at, at lifting the ball as as somebody like uh, wyatt langford who lifts the ball in the air all the time so I think there's another level that he can get to, but he does have good raw power. So I'm pretty pretty confident that he'll he'll get to that you know 20 home run range as as a, as a professional. Um, he's pretty athletic. He played center field in college, um, as you said at James Madison, and uh, but now he's he's playing right field where he has an above average to I would say maybe even a plus arm, and he's certainly athletic enough to stick a, to stick in right field. Um, but I think the thing, you know, that he's got to sort of do from here is to is to figure out how to be a little bit more consistent and 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 um, and hitting the ball in the air and not settling for you know hard hit ground balls, which you know as 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 you go up the, the ladder, those those ground balls you know turn into outs in the at the major league level. Um, but but I'm really intrigued by him and and I really liked what I saw. I just. See, you know, a professional hitter uh, does a good job of keeping his hands back, his weight back, and and driving the ball. I, I'm watching uh, pretty much every double that he's hit this year. He's hit a bunch of doubles. He has 13. I don't know how many total, but I have 13 clips here that I'm going through real quick. Uh, him hanging in against lefties is is, yep. is something uh, that he has done this year. Uh, it looks like what's causing his uh, – Raw power not to play. It, it, it seems to be a lower body. Uh, yeah. It not really kind of staying firm uh, with his uh, front foot. Uh, it collapsing a bit, but like he's still so strong. And he's popping balls off the, off yeah. the wall. 
Like, yeah. uh, and uh, even going the other way, it, I'm I'm guessing that it's more uh, a product of uh, the swing modifications that they've made more than he's lost the power. I think you're right that it, it, it's going to be there. It's just a matter of when. Um, right. The Guardians don't have a prospect like this. Um, no. Per se. <laughs> Uh, and, and you've seen a lot of Lake County come through. I mean, they've either had that big bopper with a lot of swing and miss, uh, the George Valeras, the, the right. Noel, uh, even if you go back further, the Bobby Bradleys, the Will Bensons, yeah. a lot of swing and miss. Or they have guys that are heavy contact guys like Stephen Kwan's of the world um, who don't have any power. So this is an intriguing mix, don't you think, for yeah. an organization that doesn't have that? Yeah, and I think they've always loved those athletic, you know, those those taller athletic players. Um, that, or you said they're like guys that are contact guys, but I think he's I think he's going to be able to do both. I'm I'm just really excited to see how he develops, and um, you know, the the number one predictor of uh, being a good hitter is as track record of of hitting, and he's done so at every level. I mean, James Madison is obviously the the you know power five conference uh or the sec or anything like that but you know he's had success at every level there's good baseball down there that's the thing is he's he's playing some of those carolina schools and like i'm gonna see thomas harrington later this week pitch from uh campbell like there's a lot of and especially good pitching in the carolinas so like uh you're running into you're running into really good collegiate uh uh, arms at least on Fridays and Saturdays, maybe yeah. not on sun- Sundays. Um, yeah. Next prospect, uh, we're going to have a slew of Tigers prospects. Obviously, with your coverage being in where it's at in Michigan, uh, this is a kid that we got to see in the Arizona Fall League last year, and uh, around the batter's box, uh, around the batter's box, around the batting cages, I should say, uh, there was a lot of talk about the improvements that Colt Keith made last year. He's made even additional improvements. Uh, what were your thoughts when, when you got to see him uh, scouting report and such? Um, I was just really impressed. I mean, this was a guy who was a, a fifth round pick in 2020. And so, you know, it was not really highly touted. Um, and if you look back at the, at him in high school, he was, he was skinny and hit off his front foot. And, you know, he just didn't, I think, I just didn't see it initially in terms of like what, you know, what, what did, what did the Tigers see, you know, which is why maybe he goes in the fifth round. Um, he has a sort of a fairly conventional short leg kick. He gets his, his, get his, he gets his foot down and plenty of time, but, you know, I think he was before he was swinging off balance a little bit and didn't really do a good job using his lower half. He's gotten much stronger um, over the years and, and really has good timing now he waits back on the ball. He drives the ball with authority. He gets a lot of, um, he doesn't have hit those like towering home runs. They're more, you know, hard, hard line drives, which I think bodes well because, you know, you, if you sell out for power, you know, we all know what can happen there. And so I think he's um, become much more hitterish than, than he used to be, but, it, but without sort of sacrificing the power, um, he looked good in the fall league, but you know he he had limited at bats um, last year in twenty in twenty twenty two because he had a shoulder injury that limited to just one hundred and ninety three plate appearances. Uh, but he did look good in the fall league. Uh, I was super impressed down there, and I think he's taken it to even another level this year. And 
at um, between double and triple A, you know, and he's got 27 doubles, 20 home runs, hitting over 300 with a 538 slugging percentage, and just doing a much better job of, of driving the ball and finding the barrel. Um, defensively, you know, I, I think there's still some questions, which is probably why the Tigers haven't brought him up yet, even though they've had some of the worst third base production of any team in the majors. <laughs> um, you know, they finally sent Nick Maton down, but I think at one point he was like a negative 10 out above replacement and hitting like, you know, 170 and just kind of, you know, just kind of driving you crazy. I think they, they've tried five guys at third base. And so you're kind of wondering like, why haven't they brought Cole Keith up? And I think what I've you know been hearing is that they're still working on defensive issues um, and they just want to get him more reps down there. But he does have a, he does have a strong arm. He's just not, he doesn't have a lot of range. Um, not, you know, pretty slow runner. Um, they, it's interesting. They've been playing him Chris at second base a little bit to, to get him some reps there. Um, Cause the, they also need a second baseman. Um, and I, I, what I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like cops, but um, I do see a little bit of Nolan Gorman in him. Maybe not quite as, as bulked up as Gorman is. Um, but, but a guy who maybe can play third base and second base and a pinch. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think he'll, I think he'll come into next year unless something dramatically dramatic changes between now and them is, is sort of the Tigers starting third baseman, at least have a shot to win that role out of spring training. Um, and I, and I really, like, like you said, I think he's really taken his game to an even a higher level this year than, than when we saw him in the fall league. What really stood out about him last year was was his hard contact rates. Uh, yeah, I got I and you know we necessarily haven't seen it as much in Toledo this year, um, just because he is much younger than the whole. I mean, we're talking about a twenty one year old and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but even in Double A this year, like it even accelerated even more that his average. Uh, exit velocity in his 90th percentile was some of the best in the minor leagues. And he kept on coming up on reports last year yep. where if I ran a query with my data, uh, you know, Colt Keith was in the same conversation as guys like James Wood with the, yep. the, 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 and all the guys in triple A, everybody knows the ball's juice in triple A. So <laughs> like those, those things are, are, are good indications. If a guy's hitting the ball hard, He's not striking out a ton, and he is hitting a lot of extra base hits. That's that's all. That's when it becomes easy. No matter what it looks like, it becomes a lot easier to project a guy. Yeah. Um. And and so yeah, like I, I'm on board with you uh, on this. He's probably starting in Detroit, if not to start the year, very early into the season. Yeah, I bet he comes up at some point this year. We're we're starting to see a lot of guys, uh, you know, get called up. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I very rarely ever have any Tigers coverage unless I go down to Florida. So, um, like, I'm not really dialed into what their plans are or anything like that. But everybody else is bringing up guys. Why not Colt Keith? Yeah, and I'm I'm curious as to why they haven't brought him up sooner i think we're past that deadline where he's going to run out of rookie eligibility you know between now and the end of the season yeah, and so, we are um you know i i think maybe they were holding off because you know they're like with julio rodriguez you know you win the rookie of the year and you get an extra draft pick and so maybe there's some 
um, incentive there to hold him back a little bit. But I, I, I do think he'll be called up maybe when rosters expand to 28. Um, maybe they're just waiting for that to happen because they have some made some some roster moves recently that suggest that they're getting ready to do that kind of stuff. Well, the next guy we're going to talk about is a guy that was drafted in the second round out of Ohio State, had a lot of buzz. Uh, again, uh, like Keith, another 2020 draft pick. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, Rob, I'm going to just say this. The 2020 draft might go down as the one of the worst drafts ever. Uh, yeah. Then it, 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 it's funny, too. It's guys like Evan Carter and Colt Keith that are going to basically keep it from not being too terrible. Um, yeah. But the first round was about as bad as the first round as we're ever going to see. Like, Yeah, I think so, at least in the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Jordan Walker, uh, pretty much. There, there you go with that. Um, but uh, uh, outside of that, you know, Dylan Dingler, who, uh, you know, was drafted as a catcher um, it, and, and had some position um, – you know, I played many different positions at Ohio State in the outfield. Right. Uh, I, I liked the choice when it was made. I, I thought that they were getting a, their catcher of the future. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the bat has been really, really bad until just recently. What, yeah. what are your thoughts about Dingler? Do you think he has turned a corner or is this something that, you know, he might have gotten to a lucky spot or something like that? I think he's turned a corner. I mean, certainly if you look at the, you know, just from the raw numbers, I mean, he was like a 230 hitter. And I think that was the knock on him, you know, when they first drafted him. There were questions. I mean, super athletic, not super athletic, but for a catcher anyway, is pretty athletic, pretty agile behind the plate, pretty strong arm. Um, but, you know, there were questions about whether, he, you know, how much he was going to hit. And I think, you know, the first couple of years, um, certainly he looked like the prototypical good defensive catcher who can't hit uh, with maybe a little bit of pop, but he certainly um, looks significantly better. And the couple looks that I had uh, of him uh, this year. And, and um, I think the numbers back that up, you know, he's hitting 280 with uh, um, 396 on base percentage. And I hate to go back to that, Chris, but that's, you know, sort of the Tigers new MO is that they want guys who can get on base and a 396 on base percentage for a guy who, you know, was was kind of around 300 the, the, his first two years is like a pretty significant improvement. So he still strikes out some, you know, um, he had a 32% K rate in 2022 and this year it's down to 27%, which is still pretty high, but it's, it's certainly a lot better um, and it's certainly trending in the right direction. And so, and also the walks are, are, are up. So he just seems like he's, he's trying to be a little bit more selective at the plate Um you know, and, and it seems like it's it's he's turned a corner here. And will he will he I think he's their catcher of the future. I agree with you there. I don't think, you know, they just uh, DFA'd Eric Haas, um, you know, and and I, I don't really see um, anybody that's that's there now sort of like blocking his his path once he's once they feel like he's ready to, to go. I think he's he's better on both sides of the ball than anybody that they they have in the organization yeah. so um you know rogers has, has been has been fine um he has some good games but i just don't think he's gonna ever hit you know uh jake rogers and so i think dingler's probably gonna move into that into that you know the catcher of the future role 
assuming that this, you know, this trend continues. Um, he is good. Mm -hmm. He is pretty good behind the plate. He's pretty agile. Um, two years ago, he threw out 37% of base runners. It's down to 26% this year, which, you know, given the rule changes is probably not shocking. <laughs> so, but it's still pretty decent number. You know, he could be a little bit quicker on his pop times, um, but he does have a strong arm. Um, and he, he does a pretty good job of framing pitches too. He has a very low swing rate, uh, swing percentage this year compared to last year. He's at 39, uh, where he was yep. more like 46, 47 last year. Uh, and and the miss rate is is down too, but it's it is alarming still. Uh, yeah. His whiff rate is over 30 uh, percent. But what has changed with his patience has been uh, he has a very respectful near 20 percent chase rate. Um, yeah. And so when you combine all those things together, he still really, truly handles the breaking pitch. It seems fairly well, um, you know, not getting fooled, not not swinging out of the zone at that. It's it's the change of speed that really, really gets him. That change up has uh, has been the pitch that he's chased or those chase numbers might even be lower at this point. Yeah, um, I think I think I think Diggler is in fantasy, maybe not at the caliber of other young catchers, but he's definitely going to be a guy that, that we're going to probably uh, stream uh, mostly because he's in that next tier. You know, you've yeah. got that top 12 catcher type tier, uh, maybe even top 15. And then you got, you know, guys go down with injuries all the time. He's a guy that's going to be rostered for 90% of the season. If he ends up where he's at, but you're not a he's not a guy you're drafting on draft day usually. Oh so no, get no, familiar no. with the name. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. I think he's you know I I still think there's significant questions about whether he's going to be able to continue to hit at this level as he moves up. I, I think you know the chase rate like you well not so much the chase rate but the swing and miss rate you know is is um is still not you know anywhere where it needs to be and so I could see him especially against major league pitching really struggling to maintain you know even a 250 average but but i do think he'll hit some for some pop and i think like you said he's he's a good you know number two catcher in a lot of leagues well thank you for that um it's a perfect opportunity to check in with pd to see what he's got cooking on this week's episode of baseball hq radio hey eyes have it listeners patrick david here from the baseball hq radio podcast this week's pod is another great Friday full edition featuring an expert interview with Paul Sporer from Fangraphs and the Sleeper in the Bust podcast discussing start-sit decisions for pitchers, drafting closers, analyzing pitchers with big first-half, second-half XFIP changes, second-half hitters hold or fold decisions on struggling starters, and some rest-of-season boons and banes, plus all the usual great stuff, news analysis with Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com, and our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's Paul Sporer, available now on this week's Friday full edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and I hope you'll join us. Patrick has had some great guests in the last several weeks, including this week's guest, uh, Paul Sporer from Fangraphs. Uh, check this week up, uh, week's episode out and visit the most recent episodes in your podcast or archives of Baseball HQ Radio. Uh, this is also a really good time to tell our listeners uh, what we've been telling them over the last several weeks is that registration is open for the 28th annual 
First pitch Arizona, November 2nd through 5th at the Sheridan Mesa Wrigleyville, right next door to Sloan Park, home of the Mesa Solar Sox of the Arizona Fall League, and this year's Fall Stars game, just like last year. It's a great weekend packed full of fantasy baseball seminars, scouting, and socializing with some of the most recognizable fantasy baseball personalities from a variety of websites, not just Baseball HQ. Anyway, registration information is available at our website, BaseballHQ.com. Rob was a, a panelist last year. How, do you know how your team has done in the Rookie League? I, I had Chris Clegg on last week or two weeks ago, and... I swore I was going to look up the league after it and never did. And here we are again, and I haven't looked up the league since. Have, no, have you I, checked it out? No, I have no idea how, how my team is doing. I know I picked Francisco Alvarez, so I'm getting some points from that. But I <laughs> I, I think uh, I can't I, – I honestly probably couldn't even tell you who my – you know, half of my guys were that, that I picked at this point. I haven't, I haven't looked back yet. Yeah, we're, we're going to need to update that because it, it's it's an interesting thing for the people that were not at first pitch. Uh, several years ago, 2016, we did this rookie league thing that uh, uh, Laura Michaels uh, just killed it uh, with a very weird philosophy as he as he you know always had with his his uh, prospecting and ended up just absolutely dominating start to finish because he took in uh, Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge was uh, like he could not he could not hit the side of a, a barn door. Yeah, uh, the it is major league debut, but that next season he was phenomenal um, and won rookie of the year. Uh, and so it will be interesting when, once I get into that. I, I really need to look for that on Twitter this week. We're gonna we're gonna get to find out how everybody's doing in that league, and hopefully. Hopefully, Rob's maintaining a good, at least a respectful, uh, <laughs> led by Francisco Alvarez. I mean, that's the key, is getting the yeah. right guy. Right. Uh, I, my year, I think I came in fourth or fifth out of ten teams, and I was contending for number two or three. I talked a lot of smack uh, to the <laughs> Eric Carables of the world, the the Lar Michaels of the world, people I had no business talking smack to, um, <laughs> and uh, got my butt uh, kicked by them, but I, I, you know, can't get the rematch with Blar, but uh, maybe someday I'll get the rematch with Carable. Um, so, yep. uh, interesting. Come check us out every, uh, you know, we're there every year. There's select group there. You know, it's always a different group from baseball HQ. It's always a different group from the industry. Um, I'm never going to miss it as long as I'm covering baseball because I budget for it. Um, but that's, that's just, uh, what I do, uh, um, plus, I use as much of the frequent flyer points, uh, hotel points, as I possibly can uh, that I gain throughout my year at work. So, um, moving on to prospect reports of the field, we weren't actually going to talk about this guy. Um, it was a guy that Rob had given to me, and it's a kid that I'm I'm actually familiar with as a prep guy because uh, he's from uh, I believe it's either Grayson or Buford. I always forget. I always confuse those two schools. Um, in the Atlanta metro area, um, and that is Parker Meadows, who just got called up by the Tigers. Uh, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Meadows right now? Um, is he um, is he up to potentially stay for good, or is this just a you know a flash uh, well, of, of somewhat? 
Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Certainly, I you know was reading quite a bit about it today, and um, they're moving Riley Green out of center field so that he can play center field full time for the rest of the season. They said so. Okay. Um, so that seems to me it's more than just a you know let's see what he can do. They I think they the, the team has been really impressed with the way he played um, in Toledo all year. Um, there, he's, you know, another tall, uh, like 6'5", athletic guy, um, runs pretty well. I mean, you don't see too many 6'5 center fielders. Um, he does have good speed. He's got 19 stolen bases uh, down at AAA Toledo. So that's, a you know, 19 home runs, 19 stolen bases. Those are pretty good numbers. Um, his his He does have a lot of swing and miss, though. And he's worked, I think he's worked hard to shorten his swing and buy into the, you know, everything the Tigers were preaching about on-base percentage. But... Um, there's still, I still think there's a lot of work to be done there. I think it'd be interesting to see how he handles major league pitching. Um, I'm, I'm torn because I think, I think that there's, there's some good things about what I, what I've seen in him. Um, and in the athleticism, I always like guys that are athletic, you know, have good speed and good power, but if, you know, the, the hit tool just has to be there in order to continue to, to, to be able to sort of reach your potential. And I'm not entirely sold on, on him being able to, to do that at least yet. Um, I think he's got to, he's got to, you know, narrow down the strike zone, really hone in on, on not swinging at balls out of the zone, because I think there's always going to be a good, good amount of swing and miss there. So I'm, I'm going through my notes right now. It was Grayson high school. Uh, just so you know, Grayson and Buford are like, really close to each other um and grayson of course had his brother austin meadows yeah and buford had clint frazier and at the time um back when austin meadows and clint frazier they were the two biggest prospects in the prep game and they faced each other several times and i remember seeing them but but when i saw him uh i didn't have very impressive look at him yeah Uh, he hit a lot of ground balls and there was a lot of swing and miss uh yeah I, I wasn't actually there for him. I wasn't even, I, I was uh, working for a, one of the organizations and I was, we were trying to match up, trying to get Taj Bradley, who's oh, now, Brad. you know, we are, he was working kind of in relief at that time. He was new to pitching and we were trying to get looks at him. And so I sat, I sat on a Redan uh, Grayson game and they, he never, he never pitched. I got to see him play right field and that sort of thing. But I did get a look at at, at Meadows, and it just was – it had so much length. That swing had so much yeah. length. And and it's 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 hard to hear that it, it hasn't improved because there was a lot to like athletically with the kid. Yeah. Um, you know, Big had, had a chance to grow into a – you know, he was lanky at the time, but he had good muscle development and stuff. Um, and and played a good center field. I remember that as well. He was uh, of the guys I saw that year. He was maybe the second best center fielder that I that I came across that season. Uh, and it was uh, you know that they were pretty good prep years for high schoolers in in Georgia. Not like the last several the last couple of years. Um, but but yeah, um, I, I think it's interesting that they're giving him center field. Yeah. Uh, and seeing what he can do. Uh, I also think that has a lot to do with Riley Green trying to save him, save those legs. Yeah, that's what they said. Um, you know, you can see him wearing down already. I mean, he it, plus, I also I don't know what your take on Riley Green. He's I love Riley Green, but but 
I, I don't know that he's a center fielder. No. Uh, you know, so I, I think there's lots of reasons why maybe something like this makes sense, but especially, you know, I think saving the wear and tear, you know, Comerica Park, even though they brought the fences in a little bit, um, it's still a huge center field. It is. It is. Um, our next prospect is a, a kid that I'm very familiar with. First, uh, uh, playing at Georgia Tech, his his uh, draft eligible year after playing at Vandy. I think I even saw him at Vanderbilt. Um, and well, now I probably didn't. He barely played in 2019. Um, yeah. But I did see him at Georgia Tech, and then he was in the Braves organization. Got to see him a bunch at Rome, and then in Mississippi, uh, and then in the Arizona Fall League last year. Uh, yep. And then um, he got traded um, out of the organization. Uh, the knock is, is Malloy can hit. Yep. There is no question about that. Um, he gets the hard contact often. He was a guy without a position in the Atlanta Braves organization. Yeah. Uh, what What did you see when you saw him? Is he still a guy without a position? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I I think it's it's telling that they, that they didn't, they haven't brought up either Colt Keith or Malloy, especially Malloy, because, uh, you know, he had a, he's been having a pretty good year at, uh, and, you know, it's been all year at AAA. Um, and they, they just haven't brought him up. So I, I don't think they see him as a viable third base option. Um, and he's not great in the outfield either. So, you know, I think he's a player who, whose best position is at home plate. <laughs> Um, and, and doesn't really have a doesn't really have a position other than maybe like you know you you could probably put him in I mean they had Eric Haas playing in left field so you know I guess they're willing to <laughs> sort of take less than stellar defense out there um, so you know I, I think I think he he does the one thing that they want him to do which is get on base so he's had mm -hmm. almost thousand minor league plate appearances and he's got a 409 career on base percentage um to go along with the power that you mentioned and so uh i i do think that there's a, there's a place for him in an organization like the tigers um especially as they're trying to rebuild and re you know sort of like rebrand themselves and and sort of like um reward players like this that that um you know i think harris did a good job of finding guys um that he liked when he was at san francisco without you know without breaking the the bank to get some of these players and so i i feel like he's got a shot um, but I, I just don't know. It's hard. It's hard, always hard to project these guys that don't have a, a real position. Yeah. And that's, you know, I always kind of, even when the Braves organization got, um, thinned out, it was a hard evaluation on him where he actually fit within that organization. I think I had an eight on him last year. Um, but it was, it was maybe like an eight D, even though I believe in the bat so much, um, yeah. he is just not. A great athlete whatsoever uh, yeah. he's he's his build is is very funny uh, from the like the um from the belt up he looks very like belt up he looks semi-athletic um but his lower half is is kind of shaped funky if i remember exactly right from my yeah from my viewings and it, it just he just doesn't move well um no <laughs> that's that's a lot of the problem third base uh, he didn't have reactions. Um, uh, you know, they tried him at first base. He he yeah. does not have the footwork. Uh, left field's pretty much it, I believe. Yeah. I don't I don't see him being a third baseman. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Um, but again, 
will hit, will find a part number. I mean, if Eric Haas this season could find left field at bats, I mean, uh, Malloy should easily find left field at bats next year for the Tigers. Yeah, and the reality is, you know, with Cabrera gone, um, you know, retiring and everything, I don't think they have a natural. I mean, there's certainly guys that they can rotate in and out at DH, but I don't think they really, you know, and that's not they're not really looking for guys that they're looking for more athletic players. So I could see him carving out a role as a, you know, as a part-time left fielder and part-time DH potentially. Yeah. And again, another guy from uh, one of the bad drafts of 2020, 2021, he was a 2021 sixth rounder. The yeah. Braves seem to have figured out those, but those drafts, um, they might've been one of the only teams that really did. Um, and, and power to them. Um, you know, Malloy was a kid that went from Vandy to Georgia Tech, two very good baseball schools, yeah. and, and went to Georgia Tech. It was very um, honest about that. He went there because it gave him an opportunity to play every day. Um, yeah. He was not going to going to play every day at Vandy. Uh, but again, if you look at his his career so far, he has not posted a OPS under 800. Actually, the OPS keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. And like that, you know, in, in uh, high A, it, I, I was blessed to have him and uh, Vaughn Grisham against a bunch of pitchers. Nice. Because I knew that they were going to fight. That was the thing. I knew that, that that lineup was going to extend pitchers. And you could really see what they were. Um, and Malloy, he's not intimidated by whoever he put. But he will have the same fight against a Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander than he will have against the, the scrubby swingman that, that he's going to face. Like, this is a guy that is an annoyance in the lineup, a lot like uh, with more power than uh, Mark uh, Kanan. Uh, um, yeah. You know, that's, that's an annoyance in the lineup. Like, that's part of the luster of that dude is that yep. he's going to pester you through an at-bat. He might not have the upside of, of another player, but he gets regular reps because of it. So um, that that's where Malloy is. He's kind of that perfect with a little more power, just a pest yeah. uh, of a hitter. It's interesting you say that, Chris, because I, I came across a video that had all of his 2022 AAA plate appearances. I don't know how many, maybe 40 at-bats. So I was watching that and recently and he just he'll just take pitch after pitch, you know, and not afraid to hit with two strikes, not afraid to follow balls off and then just, you know, just impeccable strike zone judgment. Yeah, impeccable. And it's it shown in leagues with the um, with the automated zone or the automated challenge zone and the leagues that don't have it. He's done it all. Um, yep. I mean, I, a very weird player to be really talking about for a long time. <laughs> but like you just in today's game, he he's a kid that is a solid regular player. Uh, I, it's just it might be at UT and, you know, utility. That, yep. That's not as strong, obviously. He's not going to probably have the power of a J.D. Martinez or the power of Miguel Cabrera um, prior to, you know, him aging uh, and getting really, really slow and all that. Um, yeah. The final guy, final main guy we're going to talk about is Nick Frazzo, right-handed pitcher in the Dodgers organization who came over in a trade last year. And just like every Dodger pitcher just has blown up since he's been with the Dodgers. I think, I think we talked about him a little last year. 
I know I talked to talked about him with Jeremy as well. So like, uh, what what's your thoughts now about Frasso? Um, I mean, he's been he, he's it's interesting because now that he's moved up to double uh, to double A. He's been hit a little bit more, which is not surprising. But his his ability to pound the strike zone, uh, you know, remains remains elite. And so he he's a guy that has been working typically. So he had um, he didn't have Tommy John surgery. He had the um, the bracing surgery like um, Bryce Harper and Trevor Story did. And so he was actually back on the mound in ten months, which is incredible for yeah. for somebody you know with the UCL injury. Um, and the first time I saw him. I didn't know that much about him, and he comes out throwing 100 miles an hour. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, it's a, it's a, it was at low A, and I'm like, this, I got to figure out who this guy is. Um, and he's still that guy, so he still, you know, is sitting upper 90s, touching 100 occasionally, uh, mixes in a slider and a changeup, which are both kind of a tick above average when he's on. Um, and he really is only working in three or four inning stints. Sometimes they go five innings. He's, I think he's still trying to build up arm strength. And if you look at him, he's kind of a, like a tall, wiry guy. Um, and he's got some funky mechanics. He's got kind of a long arm action in the back. There's a slight pause in his delivery, and he's got some crossfire um, in his in his delivery, too. And so there's some nice deception there. But it does raise concerns about durability, um, including with the elbow injury. And so, um, you know, he doesn't really have that plus secondary offering that you – that you really typically need in order to to get through a lineup the second or third time. Um, so I, I'm a little, I, he was one of my, you know, favorite under the radar prospects coming into the year. And I'm a little less bullish on him than I was before, but I understand. Uh, but I think, but I think, you know, it's also starting to look more and more like this guy's going to pitch in the majors relatively soon. It just might be out of the bullpen, um, especially with the Dodgers. And you have to, you have to like, you have to give the Dodgers credit. They're, they've been able to revamp. I mean, look at Lance Lynn. I know it's only been like three starts, but, you know, they they do such a good job of, like, uh, figuring out what players do well and, and helping them do that even better. Um, that I could see him being a multi-inning relief guy who maybe is a spot starter. Um, you know, look, look what they've done with, uh, although Gonsolin's been pretty terrible this year, but, yeah, uh, you know, Guys like Caleb Ferguson and 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 Gonsolin, uh, you know, they just do a, a great job of like getting the most out of these guys. And so, um, I'm not I, I'm not sold on him as a starter. I just I, I think you know, I think he's he's struggled a bit more at Double A. He's still striking out a ton of guys. Um, you know, he's got so far in his career, he's struck at 173 and 128 innings pitched. So there's a lot to like about that, but you know, is that is this a guy who's gonna you know take the ball every fifth day and go six or seven innings? I, I don't think so. Um, but yeah. he could be a multi-inning reliever and a like you know like a swing man essentially. He throws a lot of strikes. Um, he, he, fastball strike rates around seventy percent. Even his secondary strike rates are around sixty-five percent, which is tremendous. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you would like to, given the quality of his slider, see that strike rate up a little higher than than six to around sixty five percent. But even then, uh, where he's at right now, he has average command of uh, of a lesser slider, uh, right. and and he has plus command of a dynamic fastball. Uh, 
and, and you just you you don't you can't teach that sort of thing with his deception stuff uh you know usually when you see a longer arm circle as you know they tend to not have this sort of command right um so at least one of those check marks are gone of risk uh you know he he, he arrives at his at his slot on time uh, right and that's that's what you got to do. You got to almost be perfect, uh, a perfect uh, symmetry um, yep. to, to do that with a longer arm circle. I think you're 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 right on the ball with this. Uh, this is either a multi-inning reliever or what they call a bulk reliever. You know, second starter, even like there's so many roles for this guy. And teams like the Dodgers and the Guardians. And the Rays seem to have understood this, even the Orioles, even though they have more traditional starters right now. These are teams that have kind of understood how these guys uh, um, are. You can see it throughout his former organization, the Jays. They've got a lot of guys coming up that kind of fit this same mold where you might not want them to face the second time in the lineup, but they could be dominating that first time. Um, right. Great report. I'm going to throw one more at you. Is there anyone else, a sleeper guy, uh, you know, maybe somebody that our listeners don't know about? And it could be you could pick up from the Tigers organization. I'll allow that. Um, is there anybody yeah. else you'd like us to know about? Yeah, there's just one guy that's been really intriguing this year. Um, Justin Bigby, he's an outfielder. He's 24. Um, he's been really just super impressive at double and high A and double A this year, hitting 346. 407, 550 with 15 home runs. He does make a lot of hard hard contact. There's not a lot of swing and miss, just 56 strikeouts and 327 at-bats. And so, again, in an organization that's looking for those kinds of players, um, you know, he's, he, they're always looking for, you know, and I think Scott Harris did a good job of finding these guys in San Francisco, too, where they're kind of a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, and some somebody to keep an eye on. I don't I honestly don't know a ton about him myself. This is like the first year that he's really been on my radar. Yeah, uh, but uh, but definitely somebody that's worth watching. Yeah, not many guys from the 19th round uh, from Western Carolina that are around. So, uh, right. uh, you know, Western Carolina is on my way actually to Asheville. So, uh, but I've never actually stopped, and there would have been a reason to stop when he was in <laughs> in school apparently. Um, our final segment of the day is what's on tap. I know that you're trying to get out again to go to uh, go to Lansing to see uh, West Michigan. Uh, who do you? Who are you going to try to get your eyes on? Well, I really want to see Jackson Job. He, you know, he missed most of the the year. He was the Tigers' first round pick. Was it two years ago? Um, and no, three years ago, I think now, right? Um, yeah. And and. Um, I've seen him a few times and just want to see uh, he's, you know, really been when he's been healthy since he's been back in action, he's been really good. Um, you know, and um, I think the stuff is always there. It's just uh, it's just kind of like this. This really took a t- both COVID and then, you know, this, you know, I think really um, just took some development time away from him. And and um, I'm really excited about trying to get out to see him one more time before the season ends. And uh you know, there's there's not a there's not a ton of good players in uh, on the Lansing squad, but uh, but West Michigan's got some interesting players, and he's one guy I really want to try to get a look at before the year's over. 
That's awesome, man. I, I've got a great week coming up. Uh, uh, tomorrow evening, I'm going to go check out Bubba Chandler um, and, and Tamar Johnson. Hopefully on Thursday, I go out and see Thomas Harrington, uh, another, and, and Tamar again. Um, uh, all Pirates prospects, they're in town. Unfortunately, uh, Waltrip, the Braves' first rounder, is only going on Saturdays right now. I think that's for for pitch count reasons, so I probably won't get to see him because uh, I'll be on I'll be in Salt Lake City on Saturday for a work conference. Uh, uh, but Wednesday, I get to see the Tennessee Smokies again. That's the Cubs organization. Kate Horton's going. Um, their first rounder from last year. I know that you have Cubs coverage. Uh, uh, so, you know, hopefully getting you a nice look, uh, yeah. to, uh, be able to, uh, go off of your own scouting and your, your contacts. Hopefully we can get a, you know, a good, a good game of Kate Horton. I know that, uh, pre prior to this, uh, uh, recording, you, um, you know, mentioned how much you liked Cade in college. Um, so hopefully, hopefully I get a good, good look at him. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, what what your take on him is, because I haven't I haven't really seen him much since since college. And you know, obviously, some video and stuff like that. I love that ballpark in Tennessee, so uh, I'm jealous that you're getting to go there. And, and well, I don't go there. I'm going to just say I, uh, he's okay. coming to me. I'm, he's coming I'm to going you. to going to see in Chattanooga. Unfortunately, the Tennessee Smokies. Well, fortunately for me, because it's going to be closer, but they're moving downtown Knoxville. Um, oh, are they really? Yup, they are. They are building a stadium downtown Knoxville. I think it might actually open next year. I'm yeah. sure they're going to repurpose that for something for that area, um, that that other stadium, um, Smokies Park. Um, it, it, it for folks that have never been there, it's right near Dollywood. It's right near Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and all of those other places. It's a tourist mecca. Yeah, and I think that. There's more money for them to make at that location than the Tennessee Smokies could potentially make there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and that's <laughs> you know even if they put up three hotels, that's uh, that's doing something for that area because it's hard to get a hotel room up there anymore. <laughs> um, but I get to see him in Chattanooga, who will also have a new stadium by 2025 too. So there. All these new stadiums are coming to the state of Tennessee. So if you take a baseball road trip, Rob, um, we're going to have some really good brand new parks in this area. Yeah. Rocket City as well, which is not that far away. It's, uh, you know, in Huntsville area. Yeah. Beautiful ballpark there. So uh, thank you for joining us this week, Rob. I, I appreciate having you on. Um, uh, tell us, uh, is there anything that, uh, you know, you're especially looking forward to or a way that, uh, folks can contact you on something like Twitter or X, whatever they call it these days. Yeah, sir. I have a, a, a Twitter account that's linked to the HQ, you know, website. So you can find I occasionally a post up on there. Um, I'm not a big Twitter, uh, Twitter user, um, but, but definitely, um, you know, put some stuff on there. So if you need to get in touch or want to, you know, ask a question, feel free. Um, I'm really hoping to get down to the uh, first pitch. You know, I, you talked about bucket list. If you if you're a fantasy baseball fan, uh, it absolutely should be on going to the conference should absolutely be on your bucket list. It's it's such a blast and getting to see, you know, and, and talk in person to all these industry experts and, um, you know, hear the scouting reports from from our crack team of experts and be able to talk to you and, and go to ball games and just sort of like, you know, really 
really dive into some of the, you know, some of the best prospects in baseball and, and getting to watch them play is really uh, a really fun trip. So if you, uh, I'm, I'm really going to try to get down there and uh, looking forward to that if I'm, if I'm able to do it. Well, we're hoping that you get there because um, it's always funner to have more HQ minor league folks down there. I think I think confirmed is is myself and Shelly. I don't know if I, I don't know if Nick is uh, headed down there or not yet, um, but uh, I know Shelly is. So I'm looking forward to. And by the way, our last guest of the year will be Shelly. Uh, so nice. y'all, uh, we got a good one for that. We're going to do some superlatives, but that's a, that's several weeks away. So y'all, thank you for joining us on this week's Eyes Have a Podcast. Brent will be back next week. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the Eyes Have It at Baseball HQ, or you can reach out to me on X, the app formerly known as Twitter, or whatever we're calling it these days. I'm at C underscore Blessing. Like Rob, I'm very rarely now on, on that app. Um, but uh, when I'm at games, that's when I kind of activate it. So, so look for me uh, this week being very active on that app. Uh, first time listening to Eyes Have a Podcast, click subscribe, get our future episodes. Rank us too and spread the word about us. May everyone out there have a great week. And we'll be back for episode 71 next week.